is the Chartographers. To the top, <laughs> 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 oh man! Lovely, lovely people, retake every single time. Ranked worst like... first, and we did it. Uh, we did it for Tom Petty. Wow. We actually ranked all sixteen of his albums across two parts. It was really fun. I had a great time doing it. I was so excited to do it. It was me, Evan Soddy, was co-creator Taron O'Reilly. It was special guest, wonderful person, and crab enthusiast Nico Pasqua. <laughs> all here in studio, and it's great. And here's the thing: we got a lot of Tom Petty stuff to talk about. It's the Happy Minnesota. It's free falling. We do whatever we feel like. But most importantly, though, we need to start the Happy Hour Minnesota with the thing we start with every time. Oh, guys, guess what? What is the worst Tom Petty uh... song? So here's the thing. When it comes to worst Tom Petty song, initially in the week, I wasn't sure if I was going to have a nomination. But then two, of I can't choose. Of course you can. I can't choose now because there's two. There's Joe off of The Last DJ, mm-hmm. and there is Don't Pull Me Over off of fucking Mojo. Mm-hmm. His fucking in music industry, I'm a big old fucking badass, whatever type parody that so doesn't work. Strange. I mean, Weird Al's done parody parodies, I'm just saying. And then there's, of course, the uh, reggae song about not being pulled over by the cops. It's just like Tom Petty. I mean, you have cocaine in your life, but come on. So, uh, oh. you know... Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it on the, I don't remember what album it's off of, but there's a song called Accused of Love. Yes, I think that's, that's off just, of Oh, it's off of Echo. Echo. Yeah. That, oh my gosh, the lyrics of that are so, uh, Echo has two of the worst songs, Accused yeah, of Love no, and fucking Rhino Skin. Skin. I was going to say, Rhino Skin is my vote With for his sure. fucking elephant it's, balls. It's really bizarre. I, just I don't, don't even know, know what how, to make of it's it. It's like a B-side that they're just like, oh, fuck it, we'll just put it on the album. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I still remember uh, Climb the Hill always was interesting, where it's just like the line about, oh girl, you're just a pretty doll, I want to climb your garden walls. And it's just like, oh Tom, you randy motherfucker. But then again, like, he plays such a weirdo. He is a hat aficionado, as we discussed recently. Yeah, as we just saw it. We yeah. watched a couple videos yeah. in or, the break. Uh, don't come around here no more and running down a dream. He just loves his fucking hats, He man. does, and he wears them really well, though. He does. No, he does. He looks good. Well, because he has... That long blonde hair of a creepy hat man. (laughs) But he just, no, he looks like a rock star. I think that he, honestly, I think that when I I look at Tom Petty, he makes it look so cool. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know what's like. pretty effortless. Yeah, Yeah, no. Well, the the biggest thing about him is that he loves the camera. He's so genuine, though. I don't think that, I think that's Tom Petty. Like, when you see him on stage, when you see him being goofy, when you see him in the postman, like, that's just Tom Petty. Like, he's just so genuine. Mm-hmm. It's a little kooky, it's a little creepy sometimes, but he's just, that's the dude. That's and, some, and sometimes, it's a little serious, too. I read this thing just very, I remembered it and I had to look it up just now again, about how he, especially because there were some Confederate statues that came down in 2015 in the post-fucking, oh, everyone's racist rhetoric, and he did a whole thing about how he regrets how during the Southern Accents tour he had uh, performed in front of a Confederate flag. For a lot of that too and like he did it and he felt weird about it because the very first song on that album rebels is kind of from the perspective of someone who's upset that his traditions are being removed uh but then during that tour like
like afterwards people started like wearing confederate flag shit mm. and at one point someone threw a confederate flag like on stage for him to like have as a token and he went on a whole rant about it and he talks about how when they did their live album i think it's called live from the plantation yes, uh, yeah and uh they initially put it out i guess the back photo was the band performing in front of the confederate flag and he went back and it would cost them a lot of money but they redid that entire album cover to be like not have the confederate flag on there because he just realized it was a dumb idea he was a kid growing up in florida he really he didn't know the meaning behind it it was just a thing he saw a lot and mm-hmm. he was just like nope this is dumb and i love that you know tom petty who really is kind of a spokesperson for the south like he was just like this is stupid guys i'm sorry i regret yeah that. no that he definitely dumb. has a lot of strong feelings about something and when he believes in it and he wants it to the you know to happen it's gonna happen like the yeah the album never, prices right and he won't they, back down yeah he, he won't and i yeah. think he likes he fits that role so well. I think there was an interview and they talked about he had a lot of angst and he had a lot of stuff and trauma from his childhood. And you can either like let that destroy you or it lets you fuel you. And he's like, that's what it did for me. And he's like, so I've always just sort of had problems with authority and sort of kind of Mm -hmm. questioning everything. Again, it's that, it's that punk rock, you know, sensibility. Right. Which I think, and that's the biggest thing when he did the damn torpedoes thing, when like he was renegotiating his contract with MCA and eventually they filed for bankruptcy, which allowed him to renegotiate the contract. Like the thing is they basically played the music industry's hand because they kept hinting at the idea of what they were sitting on was like a hot album. Like the thing is like the, the label hadn't heard any of these things. They were holding them hostage, but they're just like... We gotta fuck it. We got bangers. I think this was the album. I'm pretty sure it was. This is the album where, um, during all these like legal problems that were happening, they got wind that their tapes could be subpoenaed, so that at any moment the FBI could just show up and like confiscate everything. And so they no, this is totally the album. So then they started relabeling all the like spools at the end of the night with like a different album name. And then they got so paranoid, they hired somebody to take the spools home at night in two separate locations so that, like, the FBI could never get this. I mean, it's also, like, 1978, 79, so there's a lot of drugs and paranoia and government stuff but still i think that i think you're right i think they knew they were sitting on something pretty special yeah and they play and eventually the label folded like fine whatever give us your best shot and it worked beautifully for them i actually think the i think the way it worked out was really kind of magical because i i think it was like you can have anything you want you just have to put it out with us Mm -hmm. and i think that's such a like that's the ultimate like will not back down it's like i just I just played you right. so mm-hmm. hard. Which is why when he did the pricing war thing with the $1 change for his hard promises, he talked about, like, he won that battle too, but he also wondered at what cost, because, like, the, he got a lot of the cold shoulders after that. We're just like, okay, we put your album at a regular price. You wanted to charge more. It was just like... But the thing is that he was fine with that too. He realized the record industry was getting fucking greedy, which is why eventually, and we heard the Hit Parade podcast, the Chris Malanfi one on Slate, where, like, during the 90s especially, if you had a hot single, remember, like, the top, you know, Hot 100 only counted CD if it was available as a commercial retail, which is why songs like fucking uh, Don't Don't Speak by No Doubt never went on the charts because they never put it out as a commercial single. It was on the radio and play. And that's also fueled sales of the album why that one where can i get the song where can i get the song is because it's the only place to hear the song was like it was getting played on radio but the only place you could buy it was to buy the whole cd which is why 1999 2000 that's one record you remember cds were like 1899 if Mm -hmm. you wanted to get a new one for a single cd which is just 
wackadoo when you think about it now. Like that was them getting into. He's been liking that word. Today. Oh, absolutely. But the thing is, that, like because the record industry got greedy, they got their money out of it. But then Napster comes along, you can't control that shit. Like that mm-hmm. that opened the floodgates. Well, love that. even uh, you brought up Napster. Um, I think it was the first single off of I want to say Highway Companion. Like, Saving Grace was a free download, and it was, like, one of the first ones to do that. Hmm. Of a major label, like, yeah. artists like that, yeah. That's cool. That's good. Uh, but, you know, here's the other great thing about Tom Petty is that he was really good about spreading his brand around. Because, like, when you get Tom Petty to write a song, he writes a very specific song. But the cool thing about Tom Petty, he didn't mind sharing a little bit. So, of course, there is Stop Dragging My Heart Around, the song off of the fucking Stevie Nicks album, mm-hmm. Belladonna, which is One just, of his best. Yes, it's, hot. it's such yeah. good chemistry. It's a it's a really well timed and placed and produced, but also kind of yeah yeah they harmonize very well. It's yes, cool. No, it's they hot. It's hot. Because and you were mentioning you mentioned it during the part one episode where Stevie Nicks mentioned how she would have loved to have been a heartbreaker, mm-hmm. you know, like and I feel like even in the VH1 we watched about that behind the music she mentioned that as well. Yeah, like, if I could have joined, I would have, you know, like at that time, which is just so crazy. Yeah, no, they were uh, definitely two peas in a pod. I think we've talked about just kind of how Tom's a little more rock and roll and they're a little bit more uh, like lyrical southern kind of blues. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But then, of course, uh, there was the Traveling Wilburys, too. Uh, which was, you know, him and Bob Dylan and Jeff Lynne and George Harrison and Roy Orbison all together. And I feel like, because that Traveling Wilburys album went, I think, two times platinum? Three times platinum, I think, yeah. Yeah. At and the end of the and had like you know charted songs that charted pretty well. <laughs> it's like sort of like when um like Mumford and Sons had their like little moment. I think that it was a very similar little blip in the radar uh-huh. at that time in like mm-hmm. the '80s where that like more uh you know like old steam car trunk yeah. yeah. And it had, like, it's a similar little jolt. And so I think it was, like, just nostalgic enough for people back then, too. Because that got got played a lot. The thing I liked about that particular little side project was that he is not uh, prominent in that at all. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's so content. Roy Orbison is taking Mm -hmm. center stage a lot, and, like, so is Bob Dylan. Right. Like, how are you number one? And Bob Dylan wrote, like, a fucking Springsteen rip on that album. Like, it was just, like, goofy. And that was the biggest thing where, like, all these superstars would get together. Normally, when you think supergroup, it's got to be a big fucking thing. And he was just, like, they just got together. They had fun. And I think that's part of the reason that. that It's like, it feels very, it feels so casual for having that many, like, mega stars in the same room. Mm -hmm. It's also funny because. There is definitely, like, it's a super group, but there's different levels of, of fame, very much so at that point. And I think it's very fascinating how that started Tom Petty's biggest period, mm-hmm. because that was 1988. The next, and that's like how he started working with Jeff Lynn. And then the next year, they put out Full Moon Fever. Which is Tom still Tom Petty's highest selling album at six times platinum. Outside of his greatest hits. Well, outside of his greatest hits, and but then that started like, and then Traveling Wilburys Volume Three came out after that, and then Into the Great Wide Open and Wildflowers. It was this period that was like launched by him being in Traveling Wilburys because it sort of, in the public's consciousness, I feel like suddenly put him on the same level as George, George Harrison, as right. Roy Orbison, as these legends. Mm-hmm. And he was then, then he was a legend. He, I think he kind of got the blessing. I think that he definitely looked up to those guys. Oh, One yeah. of my favorite little clips from the documentary was 
the period where he was basically Bob Dylan's backup band for mm-hmm. those tours. And uh, Tom was reflecting on how uh, he really looked up to Bob and was trying to learn from them. And every show they went out there was a little bit different. He's like, that's what I learned was just to go out there and still just sort of play in the moment. And then they cut to this clip where uh, they're going into a, you know, a Bob Dylan song and Tom and the band are sort of going the way they've always gone. And Bob's playing the harmonica and he puts his arm out behind him and like to say like, no, 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 slow, slow, slow. Stay with me, stay with me. And you see Tom kind of get down low and just try to get on the same level. And so I think that, I think it built so much confidence in him that those albums did. They just kind of poured out because he had this like uh, very, he went into it in a very vulnerable way and I think it paid off. Which I think needed to happen because I think it was around the time, I think after Damn the Torpedoes came out, they had the band meeting where Tom Petty basically let everyone know it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, I'm Tom Petty, deal with it. Because like some of the other band members, especially the drummer Stan, were kind of like upset with like, you know, like, well, Tom's always dictating the stuff and him and Mike are always writing the songs, but like... It's the Tom Petty show. One, he was know? he had a huge problem with there being a solo album that then he was he was asked to play on tour. Like yeah. I'm not good enough for the record, but I'll be your backing band on the tour. Like fuck you. Yeah. Like I'm I'm in your band. Right. What do you mean you're not going to use me? Yeah. Uh, and so that's why he ended up quitting in the mid '90s because he was just done with being animosity. Because yeah. because especially after Wildflowers came out, he was like, I feel like I'm in a cover band mm-hmm. of Tom Petty songs. Right. I don't even like the music I'm playing. Right. Yeah. yeah. I also just one last point on this. I think it's interesting to see, just adding to that timeline, the Bob Dylan tour where they were Bob Dylan's backing band, because after that. That was that was what caused the switch to going from full production to just the band itself on mm-hmm. Let Me Up, I've Had Enough. But then that wasn't the success that he wanted it to be. And I think that's also what then drove him to explore mm. other avenues of, of collaborators, mm-hmm. of doing the Traveling Wilburys and then doing a solo record because, you know, he'd been playing as the Heartbreakers for a decade at this point and... It had become a little stagnant. Mm-hmm. But I also love that he still contributed songs. One of my favorite songs is that when he gave You Got It to fucking Roy Orbison after uh, the Traveling Wilburys. Anything you want, you got it. And it's got those do, 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 do vocals in the background. And like, it's one of those things like, it's just classic Tom Petty. It's generic, it's hummable on first listen, like it's catchy. It's a cowboy with a guitar. It's fucking Elvis. Yeah. It's him, Elvis. I feel like that's the biggest thing with him. Full circle for him. Like this is him. Roy Orbison was as close as he was gonna get to actually being with Elvis. Yeah. That's for fair. sure. That's fair. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh, but of course, also Mary Jane's Last Dance off of the Greatest Hits album. Oh, yeah. such a fucking great. It's so funny that that is what it is, given that I think we said it before, the song that he like was forced to put on there. They were like, all of your favorite songs here plus one new song. You have to write this thing. And it just sort of came out of there. And it is, I think, the most recognizable Tom Petty song out there. Like, well, that's the one I think people... More than Freefall? Yes. I yes. Was... Like, honestly, like, Google search Tom Petty, like, t-shirts. Yeah. And quotes from Mary Jane's Last Dance is, like, yeah. eight out of ten the thing you're going to see across the front. Well, but that's... It's also funny because I just feel like that was the era of where 
like graphic tees were becoming yeah. such a thing. <laughs> um, well, and it's also kind of you know it has illicit undertones, so right. you know why yeah. not? But yes, no, absolutely. I and I love that song. I think it's really, I think it's fun to sing. I think if you're drunk and doing karaoke, you can definitely. I also that out like a it. Bit. I like it because it it pulls back those like it's the same style of harmony vocals that we got on the first record like that very breezy sheen Mm -hmm. uh tight vocal stab Mm -hmm. and the other thought story i mean you watched the whole four-hour documentary no it was so good again if you have time to kill in a hotel room if you're on the road and you need to kill four hours it's a are there any like essential stories from it well, again, I think the whole bit about him versus the record labels was really interesting because I, I, it was very public. Um, the later people got in that, like if he was, I think, had a Rolling Stone cover, mm-hmm. right, that he um, did. Tom Petty goes to war. But it was just, he was one of the first people to really sort of take that on. And so in many ways, he was, you know, many people's Bruce Springsteen. So that whole bit was really just kind of fascinating to see how he took a big chance. Um, I think changed the record industry like it's Tom Petty's fault that, you know, yeah. now people really read contracts before they mm-hmm. um, sign them. And then I think just the, not to use a phrase that's sort of been like trash now, but it's like a good old boy's story, like a coming of age. Like it's a, there's a certain amount of like stand by me, like quality to just mm-hmm. watching him start this band when he's like 19 and it became his life. Like, he had no other... This was what he was destined to do. Mm-hmm. Tom Petty was supposed to be a rock star. He was supposed to be all-American. Like, that's... He did it. He is quintessential American rock and roll. Period. I mean, quite frankly, I don't know about you, but if I ever formed a band and I got to soundtrack a Jennifer Aniston, Cameron Diaz movie, I would have been I so mean, happy all with that. my life. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> so, we... Just, we watched the trailer and... Holy shit, what a piece of garbage. There's no way he read the script before agreeing to soundtrack it. No, no, no. But remember, his house burnt down at, at some point. And yes. So he had to, like, make some more money somehow. So maybe that's, that's what happened. Okay. That's maybe he got he some Hollywood money. But no, no. But see, but see, his house burnt down also during the Traveling Wilburys era. So th- that was, th- like... Oh, my gosh. During the Behind the Music. It, it's It's funny because on the one hand, it's like... It's true, this is probably what he wrote these songs about, but there were so many moments where they were like, this terrible thing happened. Or like, he was like, he won his lawsuit, and then it's, even the losers get lucky sometimes. And then it's like, his house burnt down, and he was living out of a hotel room, and then it's like, and I'm free! And it's like, oh, it's so on the nose. But literally, that is probably part of what inspired this song. So, okay. It was funny because I'm, I'm thinking of it from like a movie soundtrack standpoint. Where it's like, when if that was coming on in like the Tom Petty movie, I'd be rolling my eyes. But it's, he, it's real uh, life. This, Tom, this was his life. Tom Petty also did a guest spot on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so the bit is uh, it's the boys' summer camp for, you know, mature men. Yeah. And it's like rock star camp. And so uh, Tom Petty runs a, a lyric writing clinic and they're sitting around a campfire. And he starts writing a more, you know, ballady song, and the crowd is like, "Boo!" And he flips the guitar over, and it's an electric guitar, and he starts singing one of those songs. And so I don't know. He's done. A, I think he's not afraid to poke fun at himself too mm-hmm. a little bit, which is also 
or be a creepy hat wearing weirdo in all his music videos. You yeah. know, he's got yeah, he's got a bit of a which is so funny because you don't you when you're watching like live videos of him, that's not what you see. Yeah, you know, he's being like cool rock star, mm-hmm. but in the music videos when he's making the art, yeah, as it were. Like, that's why I'm he's a like, fucking weirdo. Yeah. Yes. And like with his creepy little smile. Oh right. yeah, no, he's totally got a creep. He's got game. We uh we also just watched the refugee uh, video where he's a little bit younger, and if you trimmed his hair up a little bit, he could be like a really good looking lesbian. With, like and kind of like <laughs> winking, like a little Justin Bieber, like winking and like kissing with the camera. Like it's he's definitely. Um, well, we but except the thing is that Nico kind of spoiled her hand a little bit. She talked about who her ideal boyfriend would be, which is Ben Montrell. Oh yeah. Friend. I do think I think in, <laughs> I, I do I think I want to be Tom Petty uh-huh. right and then I think I would be with Ben Mont. I just think that he's a little uh, exacting and a little nerdy and I think he's very uh, like musically inclined like he's the guy who probably actually took music classes and mm. like was taught right. versus that's usually Tom Petty players. taught himself how to play the yeah. guitar. Um, but that's the kind of person I would end up with. Is, and then, um, I mean, as we noted in those early videos, it's pretty obvious to us that Mike Campbell is literally just three kids in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, even in the 90s, you see you see Mike Campbell in the video and you're like, who let this child in here? He's, but he's, he's, he's already, weird, weird, he's like boy. almost 50 at that yeah, point. Yeah, no, he's uh, kind of timeless. His hair changes <laughs> so much uh, era to era, but... Uh, he's like a baby face. You see interviews with him now, and you're like, what moisturizer oh are you using? <laughs> so I, fa- I found out the reason why I went from Traveling Wilburys Volume 1 to Volume 3. I thought it was in tribute to the fact that Roy Orbison passed away between the two album sessions, but no, apparently, because there were supergroups, so many bootlegs were coming out of their concerts, and so many of them were called mm. Volume 2. That the band got wind of this, and they're just like, well, our album's gonna be called Volume 3. That was their own little kind of like, you know, poking fun at whatever bullshit, you know, for that reason. So there's that. That sounds about right. I know, but most importantly, though, Nico, I'm not sure if you have. I We heard one song, and I didn't really feel the need to go any further. Mud Crutch. Oh my gosh. Have you heard anything? Have you heard those albums? That was really cute, too, in, okay. the, in the documentary they had. Um, this festival, did you guys know about Mud Crutch Festival. It was at so, the farm. Yeah, yeah, so it definitely looks like something, uh, ironically, I think people would do in Wisconsin. It felt like a very Wisconsin mm-hmm. thing to do. Uh-huh. But they, uh, you know... I've been to a, a, a music festival in a barn. I think it's, I think it's really... Who did you see there? <laughs> Guster. I mean... <laughs> showed uh, because they were living in this house with a bunch of land down in florida and i guess gainesville is um half uh like college town half uh farming community and Mm -hmm. so they just had this big piece of property and they knocked down a bunch of trees and made an open space and then they did it like year after year and it got bigger and bigger they had to get like permits and stuff um but that definitely is the more jam band uh i think they kind of shied away from that uh sound a little bit um, when he kind of became the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they reunited in 2008, or he at least brought those guys together and recorded kind of a sludgy, late-era Tom petty I feel like somebody got it. Somebody called Tom really late at night and was like, Tom, we need to talk. Yeah. I need some of that money. It's shitty down here in Florida. Some like, critics were like, it's nice to hear Tom Petty reinvigorated. And I'm like, it sounds like a fucking late-era Tom Petty. I don't know what you guys are like going on. Well, that's, about, I mean, yeah. that was all over from Echo onwards. Mm-hmm. 
every time I'd see like an A minus review and I'm like, are we listening to the same album? Are we listening? You gave this to Echo? Really? You, you gave, like, Echo has like decent reviews. Echo has like an 80% Metacritic and I'm like, how? You realize how? Rhino Skin is on the side. Oh, yeah, no, right? no, no. Yeah. If, you, if you listen to them disjointed, like if you listen to a bunch of night music from 1999, shuffle it all up. It lessens the blow. I guarantee it. That's why. But if you, I think when you put it into this catalog, yeah, then you're like, what were you doing? Right. What happened? But yeah, I think if you if you buried Echo and other music from 1999, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be quite as jarring. Because I'll, it, yeah. also, as I pointed out to Taryn, the Echo album cover, very alternative rock band from the 90s. It has a fucking logo for Echo. It's like oh, it's like yeah, the top way. the top the top and bottom of the E are arrows going this way, and then the middle part That's of the E is such going a in the 90s. Back. Oh my gosh, thing. yes. Right. I and just saw Foo and Fighters, and they have like 40 different things that they <laughs> use with the yeah. Fs. It's hilarious. But that's and then they're all like standing behind like some some brand. Do you want to know a fun fact about that? What? The guy who is the heroin addict. Howie Epstein. Who died. He he didn't make it to the photo shoot. (gasps) And Tom was like, fuck it. He's not here. This is his punishment. And as ultra punishment, I'm picking a shot for the cover that you're not in. So I was like, that's the one Tom Petty asshole thing I knew about. Yeah. And oh, yeah, what did tell us some more? Time oh, I mean, the biggest things. thing was the band meeting where he was just declared himself ruler and king. I mean, yeah, but yeah. that also just like makes sense. Yeah, and also him getting fucking frustrated as fuck uh, and punching the wall during the Hard Promises That's mixing sessions. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's certainly not the biggest asshole we've covered. No, David Byrne he, or Prince. Oh my god, well Prince was a fucking Well, I think he was shrewd though. He like he knew how to like make his business a thing. Like, oh, I'm going to give you the song for your album and they work on it and they rejigger it and he's like, that song's too good for you. I'm taking it back and it's Kiss. You know, like he just was that asshole, you know? Like he just, you know, did that frequently. I don't think that was shrewd. I think that was just dickish. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. And anyway. Like, yeah. They digress. Yeah, the true dickish. Any but other... that's another one. Speaking of Prince, oh, yeah. if you want to watch something that just like oh, gets you going, watch that oh, yeah. George Harrison tribute. Uh, or you mean the rock and roll induction ceremony? Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. That has uh, Danny Harrison and Steve Winwood and Jeff Lynne and so Tom good. Petty and Prince all doing my guitar gently weeps. And it's not competitive. Like you really feel like they're all trying. They're to They're all jam. just having a great they're time. They're jamming. But no, no, no. I feel like it's not competitive. But then Prince shows up and everyone's like, you no, know no, what? No, 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 Prince is on the, if you watch, Prince is on the stage the whole time. He's just hiding in the shadows. Uh-huh. You can see his hat, speaking of hats, <laughs> <laughs> bouncing around in the background. Yeah, and he's still, he's still strumming, but mm-hmm. he's, he, he, he knows it's not his It's part, not Prince time. It's not his part yet. <laughs> but when it's Prince time, it's strap the Prince, fuck in. You know, he does his whole, like, guitar cock thing. Right. And then, and then after he... Slays he slays the guitar solo so much that uh, Danny Harrison is like cracking up, like laughing at <laughs> he just him. Can't how, and he's, even he's like he's just giggling at how incredible the guitar solo happening in front of his him is. And then as the song finishes, Prince just casually takes off his guitar strap, throws the guitar up into the air. Who knows where it lands? Never and then hits the ground. Walks off stage. Yeah, no, no, no. It doesn't walk off stage. He. 
He bounces off stage. He struts. He's just like I killed this. Well, he's got he's and wearing heels. he's wearing like three inch heels. Yeah. So, but also like him. But Tom Petty's looking at him during that performance, and sometimes Prince, when he like leans back too far, and you could see someone in the crowd like actually pushing him back on the stage. But like Tom Petty's looking at him, and he's smiling. He's like, I get it, dude. Like he's the mm-hmm. whole time there. At this point, he's an elder statesman of rock music, and it's just like. I'm and it. I think that's why Tom Petty is more of a like lovable loser of like rock and roll. I don't think he's a Robert Plant. I don't think that he's, like, that kind of, like, dripping sexuality. But there is something so sensual about Tom Petty. Like, there just really is. Well, have you seen seen the cover of the debut album, Those Cheekbones? Oh, God, chiseled He's trying so hard to be sexy on that album cover. (laughs) On the first first couple. I mean, think about the album cover to Damn the Torpedoes. He's like, look at how hot I am with this guitar on me. And, like, you still look like a teenage gargoyle. You know, like, it's still, but you know what, we're down with it. And it's great. And we love him. Yeah. I know. Uh, how much? How affected were you when you found out he died? Uh, I think it was really sad. I think because uh, I really felt like Tom Petty was going to go on forever. I right. Mean, there was no kind of there was um, no warning signs. You know, and it, yeah. he's again his band and his like reputation was never like you guys do a bunch of blow or you're into drugs or like. Although watching the music videos that we did. <laughs> Those were all trippy as fuck. Yeah. Sure, sure. Like, but someone ate like, something right, at some point. I, again, he wasn't he wasn't uh, constantly in the news for multiple trips right. to rehab yeah. or like yeah. even his like divorce situations were modest. Like yeah, they were amicable. He, he wasn't, yeah. um, you know, a rabble rousing controversy, like a full tilt kind of yeah. guy, like burning his candle at both ends kind of guy. So yeah. I really did. I thought we had a little bit more time left with Tom and so yeah it was pretty uh I think it was hard especially because of the era when everyone was starting like it was you know Bowie and Prince and it just oh again like if we're equating them to like the 12 disciples of like fucking rock and roll and music and spirituality like that was it's been a rough couple of years for yeah for those reasons yeah I mean that's why I mean to be keep having new episode ideas because we're like, well, fuck. Mm-hmm. I guess they're not going to put out any more albums. Yes, Aretha Franklin, you know, yeah. Right. Exactly, which happened uh, two days prior to us, or three days before we recorded this episode, and was very sad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Tom Petty's death again was just so unexpected. And the worst part I remember when it came out was the fact that, like, he was in the hospital. People prematurely determined he was dead before he actually died. And so there was, like, a 12 hour cycle of, like, guys, he's not actually dead. He's just in the intensive care. And then eventually he did pass. But it was just, like, this weird cycle of, like, I don't know if Tom Petty's dead or not. It was just, like, frustrating. And it was odd. But, like, it was just, again, like, between that and Prince and Bowie, like, people that are feel like they were from the same generation to all leave us so quickly. And George Michael. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, it was just. Stunning and shocking and just weird, but yeah. And so the th- but the weird thing, I mean, the one odd thing about it though is that when someone dies, their legacy is secured, and like we can look back at it because there is a finite conclusion to it. And it's just, and for me, it was interesting because honestly, I didn't know a lot of Tom Petty going into this week. I knew the hits, I knew the big singles, I knew a couple of the albums maybe, but like to find out all the nuances and all the weirdness and all the other like things on there, that's been it was so gratifying for mm-hmm. me. And finding Full Moon Fever in full was just a joy. It really, really was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I was expecting this, but I do think that this is one of those episodes where, like, I suddenly have a new favorite artist. Like, there are so many incredible songs here that I just, like... Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely... It's changed my uh, pantheon a little bit. 
And there are some artists we've done where, like, the week we're done, I'm like, I don't need to listen to this artist for a while. <laughs> I, I yeah. definitely, I, yeah, no, I, I mean, there's, there's a good, a, like, two handfuls of Tom Petty songs where I, I want to add them to my normal rotation, you know. Mm-hmm. Any other last minute thoughts, Nico? No, I did the same thing. I, I again, I, I know the body of work, and I have the greatest hits that I play uh, and Mojo, in my which car. Is hits album well, in no, Mojo is gonna come. It's gonna be on vinyl. It's gonna be delightful. Um, but I also uh, this week downloaded a couple of songs that were just randos off some albums that I didn't like fall in love with, and mm-hmm. they're just gonna end up in a, a heavier rotation um, than not. But it's very likely that um, it's pretty well known. I don't do karaoke. I'm not afraid to sing, but I feel very anxious for people who are up there mm-hmm. um i think it would my first karaoke song would be a a tom petty song which one uh, uh you know here no i mean more. if i could right give no. it up stop <laughs> <laughs> um i i do think it would be uh just because it's kind of in my range refugee probably Ooh. Yeah, that'd be a good, that's a yeah, good right? And so, yeah. so when it happens, just know that that's. And for me, we all know my karaoke song. Mary's got a brand new car. Oh, no, Rhino skin all the <laughs> way. <laughs> well, Nico, I really and I mean this. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really, actually really glad we went on this journey together. Oh it yeah, no, so it's much fun. it's uh, it's uh, mutual mutual love. Yeah. Yeah. Taryn, thank you. It was My nice. pleasure. Yeah, you I mean Taryn was a great counterpoint all week that we got to have some great discussions and debates and the best part, honestly, my favorite part is about any episode we do is when I'm arguing something with Taryn and I'm like feeling out the argument as I'm speaking to him because I'm so passionate and like as I argue it becomes a lot more articulate as to why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. That's like my favorite part to have that receptor there to be like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I hear some of that later in the episode too. We're like you. It's just great. Yeah, we can try out the arguments. Yeah, yeah audition we can them. Get this part. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, <laughs> if you let us know if you wouldn't mind in the comments, let us know what your favorite karaoke Tom Petty song is. We would love to know. If you would have loved a Heartbreaker solo album, you don't. It's fine. But most importantly, though, uh, please do that. Like us on Facebook. Get a hold of us. That's our choggers at gmail.com. Let us know. We're going to give Nico some CD album giveaways as part swag. of her joint. We're going to give him a little swag bag. It's going to be I'm great. I'm putting these albums into my purse like yeah. as we speak. And uh, she's just rating the whole collection. It's great. Uh, and most importantly, guys, thank you so much for listening. Keep on listening. You know that we'll be. Have a good one. Have a good Bye. Give it up.